Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, Episode 7 for Monday, March the 21st, 2016. Hey guys, on this episode, we're going to talk about Daredevil Season 2. It's here. Batman vs. Superman week. It has arrived. We're going to talk about some of the advanced reactions that we're hearing from it. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about these little technical gadgets called Chromebooks that you should look into. We're going to take your Twitter questions and a whole lot more. So sit back, relax. The John Campion Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to this new episode of the John Campia Podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Only had a couple of uh, a couple of installments of the podcast up last week. It was a very busy week, and as I mentioned before, this podcast is not going to be on a regular schedule. It's going to be anywhere between you know a couple of podcasts a week to some weeks. I'm sure there's going to be five. Uh, I've been thinking about maybe moving it to one day a week, maybe Mondays, but I kind of like doing it more than one day a week. I kind of like being able to put one up whenever I kind of feel like it when I've got the extra time to do it. And today is that day, starting off a new week. Bunch of stuff to talk about. Like I mentioned in the opening here, Daredevil Season 2. I'm going to go into my non-spoilery review of Daredevil Season 2. Don't worry in case you haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of the the final countdown, Batman vs. Superman, whole bunch of cool stuff. But listen, there's something I, I wanted to mention here. I, I meant to talk about this a whole bunch of times. This is just kind of a, a cool little thing on the side. Um, I was writing up my, uh, when I knew I was going to do my podcast, I was writing up some notes for myself. And I was using my my MacBook Air which I uh, use at home. I have a wonderful MacBook Air. I love that laptop. It's amazing. But I don't always need it. And I realized that, hey, my my MacBook Air is still in my computer bag, which is in the trunk of my car. But I didn't need to run down and get it because I've got another laptop in, uh, in the room. That is a Chromebook Air. Now, here's the thing. Uh, and every once in a while in these shows, I'm going to talk a little bit about tech. But I'm, I'm shocked that so many people still don't know about the Chromebook Air, uh, the Chromebook Air, the Chromebooks. <laughs> Got MacBook Air and Chromebook mixed up. Anyway, uh, that so many people still don't know about Chromebooks. Now, if you don't know what a Chromebook is, it's not Windows, it's not Mac, it's something all on its own. Now, I'm sure most of you folks know about Chrome, the Google browser. It is simply the best browser out there. It, it, it just is. Like, I'm a Mac guy. Um, I, I So, you know, you'd think I use Safari. Um, not at all. Chrome, I discovered Chrome a couple years ago, and I've been using it ever since. To me, it just outperforms everything that's out there. But that's just for me. Br- browsers will be unique to each per- person. Maybe you love Firefox, maybe you love, you know, Dolphin, maybe you love one of the other browsers out there. Maybe you are a Safari person, but for me, I love Chrome. So what is a Chromebook? Well, a Chromebook is a laptop, although they they do have other devices now, but primarily Chromebooks are laptops. 
that are based on the Chrome operating system, but it doesn't work like any other operating system out there. Basically speaking, and this is oversimplifying it, but this is the basics. A Chromebook basically is a laptop that runs everything off the web, and it's basically the Chrome browser. So if you've used a Chrome browser, say, on a Mac or on a Windows machine or on a Linux machine, whatever, then you know how to use Chrome. That's basically, and like I said, there is more to it, but basically that's what a Chromebook is. It's you open it up and you jump into the Chrome browser and basically the idea of a Chromebook is you do everything web-based. Now, for somebody like me, that's not a big stretch because aside from using higher-end production tools like Photoshop or After Effects or Premiere for video editing, things like that, I basically do everything on the web. I mean, think about it. 95% of people of what people do online or with their laptops can be done on a Chromebook. And that other 5%, I mean, yeah, the 5% of people who need Adobe Premiere, because you can't install programs on this like you can on a Mac or on a Windows machine. You can't, you know, install Adobe After Effects or anything like that. But 95% of the people out there don't use production tools. They want word processing, they want email, they want web surfing, they want to use their social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or things like that, and they want to browse the web. That's 95% of the people out there. That's that's 95% of school students, that's 95% of parents, that's 95% of high school students. I mean, 95% of the people out there simply do not need that extra 5% that a Mac or a Windows machine will give you. Now, this was an easy thing for me because, you know, a lot of people, they rely on, say, Microsoft Office. I actually gave up on Microsoft. Not that there's anything wrong with Microsoft Office, not at all. But I personally ditched Microsoft Office about six years ago. I haven't used Microsoft Office in six or seven years because there were a lot popping up. There were a lot of free alternatives to Microsoft Office that can open and save in Microsoft Office formats. I remember a long time ago, my first thing was uh, I used this program called OpenOffice, which is just what it sounds like. It's it's an office suite. It's got a word processor, presentation, you know, database capabilities, spreadsheets. And what made it a killer app is that somebody sent me a Word document. I can open that Word document in OpenOffice, edit it, look at it, and save it as a Word document again. Well, Google has their own online service, and I won't spend too much time in the tech part of things here, but Google has their own online service called, uh, you know, Google Drive, and it has its own version of a word processor and a spreadsheet and a presentation software called Google Docs and Google Sheets and things. Anyway, you can do all of your word processing in there, and everything saves online. And here's the key thing about a Chromebook. Whereas... If you're looking for an okay model that'll run okay for a Windows machine, you're probably looking at spending 500 bucks. Now that's not top of the line, but that's so you get a computer that's good enough that's going to run real smooth and real quick for that 95% of stuff that all of us use laptops for. For a Mac, you're going to go, which is a higher end piece of of hardware, you're going to go a little bit more expensive than that. So a baseline, a lower end model of a MacBook Air, whatever, you're probably going to spend seven or 800 bucks. 
but for a Chromebook, one that's going to be powerful enough to just zip through those 95% of things you use your uh, your computer for, you know, for once again, for basic photo editing, uh, uploading your photos, Facebook, Twitter, word processing, uh, email, all that kind of stuff. You're looking at spending maybe $200. Now, if you want to get a real beast of a Chromebook, you can spend probably in the neighborhood of 400 bucks if you want to get a real beast. But I have a Chromebook that I spent 175 bucks on here at home. I use it as my backup laptop, but I often, whenever I go on the road, I'll often take this Chromebook with me because I don't have to worry about damaging my $1,000 MacBook Air, but also because it does just about everything I need it to do. You can spend, I spent 175 bucks on that and it's wonderful. And actually when I was putting together the uh, Collider Video Studio, the one that Collider Video is in now, I made the decision to go out and buy like five Chromebooks and just have them in the office so that anybody can pick up a Chromebook anytime. You log in with your Google information and voila, that is now your computer. I mean, look, here's how this works. This is pretty cool. I'll get some movie stuff here in a second. But the way a Chromebook works is you open up a Chromebook and you sign into the Chromebook using your Gmail um, credentials, your Gmail username, your Gmail password. Once you do that, now the Chromebook knows it's you. And knowing that it's you, this is the really cool part. When you open the Chrome browser, all of your bookmarks are there. All of your bookmarks, all of your history. And if you're like me, and instead of using a physical hard drive on my computer, I use my Google Drive to save almost all my documents. That means all my documents are there too. So I can use my Chromebook that's here at, at home. I can finish what I'm doing, close it up, go somewhere else. I can fly to New York City, uh, grab another Chromebook, log onto that Chromebook with my username and password, and boom, all of my stuff is there. Everything's there. It's as if it's my own computer. So uh, people on the Collider Video staff really grew to love these Chromebooks. And I just wanted to, I just realized I've never actually taken a few minutes to really encourage people to check out Chrome. If you have not tried out a Chromebook and you're in the market for a laptop and you don't need to use like, you don't need to use like Adobe Premiere or the Adobe Creative Suite, I highly recommend checking out a Chromebook. They're fast. They're secure. They're a pleasure to use. A lot of fun. Go check. And they're cheap. They're cheap. So, I mean, if you, if you walk outside and you drop it and it breaks into hundred pieces, okay, you're out, you know, 200 bucks. You're out 220 bucks, whatever. You do that with like your, you know, your Mac, um, your MacBook Pro, or you do that with a Surface Book Pro. You're out there and you drop it. Boom. You're out 2000 bucks. So just something I wanted to throw in there to keep, uh, to keep, on, in your head, if like, say, let's say you got a kid and you're looking to buy them a laptop, maybe their first laptop, maybe they're like 10, 11, 12, I highly recommend a Chromebook, highly recommend a Chromebook. Anyway, all that out of the way, let's get into some of the other stuff here. Uh, Daredevil season two has dropped on Netflix. And look, I, I'm one of these guys where I said, look, I, I didn't think that Daredevil season one was like the greatest thing ever, like a lot of people were saying, but I really enjoyed Daredevil season one. Um, I still preferred Flash over Daredevil, but 
I thoroughly enjoyed Daredevil season one. I had a really good time watching that and I've been really looking forward to season two. And, you know, when they announced that the Punisher was coming in, I thought, okay, that might work or it might not work. And when they announced that John Bernthal was going to be playing Punisher, I'm going to admit, I was one of those guys was where I was like, mm, really? I, I don't see it. I, I don't see John Bernthal playing Punisher. I, I just don't see how that works. Well, then fast forward and the first couple of trailers for Daredevil season two come out and we start to get a look at John Bernthal as Punisher. And I thought, well, he looks good as Punisher, but any actor would look good as Punisher. You know, these television shows and movie productions, they have top makeup people and costuming people, whatever actor you had in there, they were going to look good as Punisher. So I didn't really care that John Bernthal looked good as Punisher because anybody would look good as Punisher if they made him upright. But then they started not just showing trailers, but a couple of scenes they released. And I got to admit that that first reaction I had about John Bernthal being cast as Punisher, which I just couldn't really, I wasn't against it, but I didn't really see it. You know what I mean? Um, and then I started seeing these clips with him playing Punisher and I started getting really on board. Like, I was like, okay, no, I've, I've changed my mind. He looks, not only does he physically look great, he, his performance as Punisher is looking fantastic. I, he sounds great. I like the, the nuances they're bringing to the character. I like the personality they're bringing to the character. This looks like it could really work. So anyway, with all that in mind, me, Dennis and Schnepp, uh, we got together at the Clyder offices the other day to binge watch um, Daredevil. And John Bernthal as Punisher totally delivered. Totally delivered as Punisher. We all loved him as Punisher. Uh, Charlie Cox, again, fantastic as Matt Murdock. He was great. Deborah Ann Wool, solid again as Karen Page. Uh, Eldon Henson, I think is an underrated, uh, who plays Foggy. Eldon is great. He he's basically he's kind of like the humanity. He's the human heartbeat of the show. He's the while we all like to think we identify more with Daredevil or we identify with Elektra, or we identify with the Punisher. The reality is that Foggy is kind of Foggy the character represents us in it. And he's I've really grown to appreciate the character. I thought he was a good character in season 1. I think he's a great character in season 2. Um and oh, see, I said this was going to be a non-spoiler one, so I'm not going to go into some of the big surprises and things that pop up. But I got to tell you, I I already told you how much I liked Daredevil season one. I like Daredevil season two even more. And it's funny because I'm reading online a bunch of people who are saying they also really like Daredevil season two, but they preferred season one. That confuses me a little bit. I mean, it's all subjective, so so it's totally fine. But it confuses me a little bit because... Me personally, this is just my own personal observation of the show, which means nothing, but it's just my personal observation, was I can't think of anything in season one that is better than what they did in season two. I can't think of an element, like, I don't think the writing in season one was as good as in season two. The the writing in season one was great. It was great. I love the writing in season one, and it set up what they could do in season two. But I think season two did what a second season should do, which is up it. So I thought the writing was incredible. I thought 
The performances were even better than season one, which should be expected because now these actors have played this character before. So now they've they've really grown into their characters. I thought the action was better. I thought the the story was better. Uh, and, and once again, none of this is to take away what they did with Daredevil in season one. Not at all. I, I really like what they did with Daredevil in season one. I just think they really upped the game for season two. Now, one of the things I did notice though, in Daredevil Season 2 was there was basically absolutely no references to the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, in Daredevil Season 2. Now, in Daredevil Season 1, there were a few very vague references. You know, like, okay, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and whether you love this or hate this, it is what it is, but Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is... Wow, Iron Man could really do that. Or I remember once Thor saying this or Dr. Banner designed this uh, cottage to make sure he couldn't escape. You know, direct, blatant references to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Daredevil Season 1 didn't really have any direct references. There were more, you know, they talk about um, the incident. Now, you and I know that when they say the incident, what they are most likely talking about was the alien invasion from uh, the first Avengers movie. But they don't come out and blatantly say that. They never once say alien invasion, you know. There is a newspaper article that says Battle of New York behind uh, a guy where you see the Leviathan uh, on the ground. But that's that's off in the background. It's not focused on, you know. It's vague. And they went even further in season two. Like in season two, there was one direct reference and that was to Jessica Jones. But notice that's to the Netflix, the Marvel Netflix universe more than it is to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm starting to see two distinct things. We're seeing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the MCU. But I'm starting to recognize more and more an MNU, a Marvel Netflix universe. Now, once again, in season two, there is, they're talking about there was a power outage once and they said it, there was a power outage due to uh, the incident. But that's all they said. They just said the incident. Again, no direct reference, just some vague comment that you and I know probably means something to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But honestly, it could be interpreted another way as well. It's vague. Now, they mentioned Jennifer, uh, Jessica Jones because I believe the Netflix shows are setting up their own little universe um, with, obviously, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, uh, Iron Fist, you know, Daredevil, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to see these shows referencing each other. But, like I said, there are absolutely no direct references to the MCU, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, we all know that... Theoretically speaking, they inhabit the same world. But how can you be in a world, how can you be in a New York City show where Thor exists, Iron Man, Captain America, alien invasions, blah, 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 with no direct references to any of those over the course of the entire season? Well, it's because I think what they learned on the with the Netflix, exper Netflix experiments is that the shows are better off being in their own world. I mean, they can't go back now and retcon it because they've already, like I said before, in season one, you saw the newspaper article, Battle of New York with the Leviathan in the streets. You can't retcon that. So there's no denying now that theoretically, at least, they inhabit the same world. 
But I think on a practical level, um, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, I think on a practical level, you're never going to see direct references to what's going on in the Marvel movies. I don't think you're ever going to hear anybody say, hey, remember when Dr. Banner turned into the Hulk in the middle of New York City? You're never going to hear them say that. I I don't think. Uh, It it seems by watching Daredevil season two that they are doubling down on that, that they realize our MNU, our Marvel Netflix universe is better served acting like it's its own universe. And there's just no denying once you watch Daredevil season two, it acts like it's in its own universe. Yes, there is that one vague, you'd have to interpret it a certain way, reference to saying the incident. Um, that newspaper article that was on the wall is still on the wall in that one dude's office, but there's no focal pointing at it at all. You watch Daredevil season two and you just realize, yeah, Netflix is moving away from the MCU and really focusing more on developing their own MNU, Marvel Networks uh, Netflix universe, where all these characters in the Netflix universe will interact and ref- directly reference each other. Like we saw Daredevil season two, there's a direct reference to Jessica Jones. But other than that, it's just struck me as really odd. It looks like they're moving away from uh, from the MCU, but it'll we'll know more. I mean, Jessica Jones did the same thing. There was very, very, very little vague references to like, you hear a guy say, I've seen people like you. Okay, that's a vague reference. It is, but it's still vague. So we're seeing now from Daredevil season one, Jessica Jones season one and Daredevil season two, that the direct, not that there ever was any direct references, but the references to the MCU are becoming more and more thin. Now, maybe when Luke Cage comes out, it will reverse that trend. Maybe Luke Cage, who knows? Maybe Luke Cage on Netflix will be filled with MCU references. Maybe, maybe it will. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I'm just saying from a viewer's point of view, I'm sitting here and it looks to me like Netflix is doing what I consider to be the smart thing and moving more and more away from the MCU, leaving the MCU alone to do all of its greatness and focusing more on their MNU in with Jessica Jones and Daredevil, which I believe will be better, will make better shows. So anyway, that's just my thought. All right, let's move on to the next thing here. Folks, the wait is over. It is Batman versus Superman week. I cannot begin to tell you how incredibly stoked I am about this. I am so excited for Batman v Superman. Now, a lot of you guys have been asking me, I'm just going to take a sip of water here. A lot of you guys have been asking me, when am I going to see Batman versus Superman? Uh, and I'm going to see it tomorrow night. So this is Monday, tomorrow night, Tuesday, I'm going to go and watch Batman versus Superman. But I have been telling you guys this past week, I've talked to several people who had seen the film and everybody is telling me I had not heard one negative thing. I mean, I heard, sorry, let me take that back. I've heard some negative things, but overall, Every single person I talked to has really enjoyed Batman versus Superman. Some of them absolutely went out of their mind loving it. One or two of them really liked it, but saw some flaws and that that's fine. The most perfect film has flaws. That's fine. The bottom line though here is everybody I have talked to has at least given Batman versus Superman on a scale of 
terrible, bad, okay, pretty good, good, very good. Everybody has given it at least good or higher, as high as magnificent. So anyway, last night, I believe it was like the first public screenings for, for, for select groups of fans. And the reactions coming out of that have been completely consistent with everything I've been hearing. Very, very positive. Very positive. And, you know, I put this up on my Facebook the other day. Like, everybody knows I've been dying for Batman vs. Superman. I've been saying from day one, I think this movie's going to be awesome. Of course it could suck. Any movie could suck. But I've been saying from day one, I think this is going to be great. I think Man of Steel was a masterpiece. I be- I've been, you know, totally on the Ben Affleck as Batman bandwagon from day one. The day they announced it, I made a Facebook or a YouTube video, me and Schnepp, saying this is brilliant. Getting... Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne is brilliant. I love Henry Cavill as Superman. I've had all the faith in the world in this movie. Now, that doesn't mean I close my eyes and become, you know, a blind fanboy. When they put out that one trailer with Doomsday, that was a bad trailer. So since I'm not a blind fanboy, even though I'm totally looking forward to Batman for Superman, I still call like it is say, hey, that's a bad trailer. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just a trailer, but that was a bad trailer. But the other thing I've been most nervous about the other thing I've been most nervous about, without question, uh, and, and against, was the Gal Gadot casting as Wonder Woman. Um, I, and here's the thing. I believe any actor can be like Channing Tatum. Like, I really despised Channing Tatum as an actor. I really didn't like him at all as an actor for a long time. He was terrible in a lot of things. For most of his career so far, he's been terrible. But... He worked hard. Channing Tatum worked really, really hard and trained and trained and trained and trained. And over the course of years and years and years, you could see him improving to the point that now I, somebody who couldn't stand Channing Tatum as an actor before, now I look forward to movies Channing Tatum is in because he's dedicated himself, he's worked hard, and over the course of years... He got better and better and better and better and better. And I've always believed that Gal Gadot could do that as well. I was just, as a comic book fan, I was offended that they gave the most iconic female superhero character of all time to an actress that hasn't even been acting that long. Like her her main career was she was a model. That's what she was for most of her life. And it was only recent, recent years that she even became an actor at all. She had only had very, very small roles in a couple of little, in a couple of films. And in those roles, she was not very good. So to take the most iconic female superhero of all time and give it to somebody with that little experience and with that up to that point, little talent I was kind of offended um, by that. I thought, you know, and some people think, well, John, you know, uh, uh, Henry Cavill was a no-name. No, 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 It's not about being a no-name. Henry Cavill, before he became Superman, wasn't a household name. But just because he wasn't famous doesn't mean he wasn't. He's been, a, he's been acting since he was a kid. Henry Cavill has been training and acting since he was a kid. And Henry Cavill has been on the top five list of Hollywood casting agents for over a decade. Remember, he was almost the new James Bond. 
He was almost Superman before Brandon Routh. He had that one lead role in The Tudors, where he was fantastic in The Tudors. Uh, but nobody saw that show, so it's it's whatever. The point isn't that I never thought they needed to go out and get somebody famous to play Wonder Woman. Because look at this kid. I forget the kid's name. But the kid they went out and cast as Cyborg, right? He is a guy that no one has ever heard of. But I was still excited about it because this dude's background is Broadway. This guy is... Because, look, if you want to know if someone's a good actor or not, if they can make it on Broadway... You can't get away with being a a bad actor on Broadway. You're not going to get to Broadway if you're a bad actor. And this dude is a classic theatrically trained actor with Broadway on his resume. All right. So even though I had never heard of the guy, I'm like, hey, at least they went out and got somebody who had big talent. And I was nervous about the Gal Gadot thing because I hadn't seen a lot of talent from her. And I thought the role should have gone to somebody who has dedicated their life, not just dedicated the last couple of years, but has dedicated their life to acting. That's the type of person the fans deserve to have play the most iconic female superhero of all time. And to be frank, I actually found it a little bit sexist that they just gave, because look, let's say um, there was, make uh, let's make up a superhero, okay? Let's make a, a superhero up. Let's call it, Ultra Mega Man. And I bet you somewhere out there, there is a character called Ultra Mega Man. But anyway, for for this, I'm just making up the name Ultra Mega Man. Let's say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Ultra Mega Man was the most beloved, most famous, most iconic superhero character of all time. And you're going to go make a movie out of him. You can bet your ass that had they gone out and cast a race car, a dude who was a race car driver a few years ago, and he just took up acting now. He hasn't been good in anything he's been in so far. He's only been training as an actor for a couple of years, and they gave that role to that guy. Fanboys, including me and including you, would have been outraged. Outraged. That they would treat this iconic mega Ultraman with such disrespect that they just gave it to anybody, to any actor. Just because they got a pretty face and they were famous being a race car driver. We would have been outraged. But it felt to me like a lot of people's reaction to the superhero thing was, well, it's just a girl character with Wonder Woman. Ah, it's just a girl character. Who cares? Just give it to somebody hot. That's what it felt like to me that a lot of people's reaction was. She's oh, whatever. Like, that's it. It's whatever. No, it's Wonder Woman. The most iconic female superhero of all time. That character deserves the respect of not necessarily going out and getting a famous actress. Fame doesn't mean anything. You know, Kim Kardashian is famous. It doesn't mean we want her playing Wonder Woman. But go out and get somebody who's dedicated their life to acting. And when they've had opportunities show us a glimpse of their acting, that they've blown us away. A great example is Daisy Ridley playing Rey in Star Wars. Look, none of us had ever heard of Daisy Ridley. But then you hear JJ talking about, no, I, I've been having my eye on her for a long time because she's, ever since she was like 11, she's been training like incessantly as an actor her whole life. That's what her life has been dedicated to, being an actress. And I just kind of felt Wonder Woman deserved that same respect. Now, here's the thing though. That's your starting point. All right. I have always said, always said, I said, look, you can make the wrong decision. And I do believe casting Gal Gadot as one of them was the wrong decision. All right? I do. But I have always said this. Just because you make the wrong decision doesn't mean it can't work. I use this analogy all the time with the Gal Gadot casting. 
I would say, look, the lowest percentage of success in basketball is heaving up a half court shot. You know, you want to get close to the basket and take a shot. So if you just run halfway up the court and just heave up some shot from half court, that is a bad decision. I mean, unless it's like the last second of the game or something, but you know what I'm saying. If there's plenty of time left on the clock and you just walk up to half court and heave up a half court shot, what, maybe 5% of those go in? That is a bad decision. But that doesn't mean it won't go in. That doesn't mean it can't work. That doesn't mean, just because it's the bad decision, the wrong decision to heave up a half court shot, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't work out. And I've been telling people all along, look, um, the reason I'm waving the Gal Gadot flag and I'm Gal Gadot's biggest cheerleader right now is because, yes, I do believe it was a wrong decision to cast her, but the decision was made. It's done. There's nothing we can do about it now. So all we can do now is cheer Gal Gadot on and focus on and understand that just because you make a wrong decision, it still can work out. And I tried to tell people who hated the Gal Gadot pass, uh, casting who said it was there was just no hope. People say, no, now this movie's doomed. I'd say, no, it's no, no, it doesn't. Look, that was a wrong decision. Yes, I do believe it was a wrong decision, but that doesn't mean it can't work because the other example I would always bring up to those people is this, is like, look, is Dave Batista the guy who plays Drax the Destroyer in Guardians of the Galaxy, is Dave Batista the greatest actor in the world? No. Could they maybe have gotten somebody better to play Drax the Destroyer than a guy who's only been acting? And I love Dave Batista. I think he's one of the best guys in Hollywood, and I am a big fan of his. But, you know, he's he'll be one of the first people to tell you himself. He's not the strongest actor. He's just learning. And that's one of the things I love about Dave Batista. He's so humble and so realistic about where he is right now in his career. Could they have gotten somebody better to play Drax than... Um, than Dave Batista, Yeah, absolutely. Now, the difference between Drax the Destroyer and Wonder Woman is that Wonder Woman is the single most iconic female superhero of all time, and Drax the Destroyer is like the fourth credited character in a comic book title that most people have never even heard of. So you see, they're two totally different situations. But could they have gotten somebody better? Should they have gotten somebody better to play Drax the Destroyer? Yes. Was it the wrong decision to cast Dave Batista? It probably was the wrong decision to to cast Dave Batista, but that doesn't mean that it can't work. And what James Gunn did, and I said this on Movie Talk a couple of times, and I still believe this. What James Gunn, being an incredible director that he is, what James Gunn did as a director was he took this performer, Dave Batista, and he used him as an actor and the character in certain ways that highlighted Dave Batista's strengths as a performer and didn't put the character in position in a position where Dave Batista's weaknesses as a performer would have been exposed. Let, let me say that again. James Gunn took this actor and used the character in such a way that highlighted the actor's strengths and use the character in such a way that it didn't expose the character's weaknesses or the actor's weaknesses. And by doing that, and because it wasn't a big major character, Drax the Destroyer ended up being a really positive part of Guardians of the Galaxy. And Dave Batista played to his strengths, and James Gunn 
didn't put Dave Batista in a position where Dave Batista's weaknesses could have been exposed, and it worked. It didn't just work. It worked great. We all laughed along with, I think, actually, I thought Dave Batista had the funniest line in Guardians of the Galaxy when he says, this green whore is my friend. I think probably the funniest line in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so was it the right decision? Probably not to cast Dave Batista, but did it work? Yes, it can still work. And I've always been holding out that hope. And I've always told people, especially people that were more negative on the Gal Gadot thing than me saying, oh, this will never work. I say, no, 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 hold on a second. Now look, I'm with you. I think it was the wrong decision to cast Gal Gadot. I still do. And when I go see Batman versus Superman, no matter how good um, Gal Gadot comes across, it probably would have been better had they got a better trained actress who can act better than she can. Because I just saw Triple Nine and Gal Gadot was terrible in it. She was. Um, A buddy of mine who argues with me on the Gal Gadot stuff all the time also saw Triple Nine and had to admit to me, okay, yeah, she was pretty terrible in in Triple Nine. But this is a different director. This is Zack Snyder. It's also a different genre. This is the comic book genre. And as I've been trying to tell people all along who've been more negative on the Gal Gadot thing than me is... Don't think for a second that it's not possible to work. Dave Batista proves that maybe you can make the wrong decision casting. Maybe. But you can still make it work if you direct it right. And look, the character's got an incredible writer in Chris Terrio. Uh, I think Zack Snyder's a great director. And I think this can work. And I had somebody write to me, a friend of mine write to me who came out of a screening a Batman vs. Superman a few days ago and told me the movie was great and that Gal Gadot in no way ruins the movie. Because that's the big fear. The big fear is Gal Gadot was going to ruin the movie. He wrote to me, nope, uh, she does not ruin the movie at all. They used her perfectly. And that is the hope that people like myself who have been very skeptical of the Gal Gadot casting but totally believe in this movie, that's the biggest hope we've had. That we hear somebody come out of that movie and say they used the character right. Not just right. Some people love the way Wonder Woman comes across. So if that's the case, and I put this on my Facebook, that's all I needed to hear. I just needed to hear somebody I respected coming out of a Batman screen and say they used Gal Gadot right. She doesn't take away from the film at all. And they used her right. And that's all I needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear. And that was my one big reservation of Batman versus Superman. Was going to be, how does Gal Gadot come across as Wonder Woman? And with that now alleviated, I get to walk in and watch Batman v Superman with nothing but hope and joy and smile and enthusiasm and high expectations. Now, granted, maybe I'm sabotaging myself a little bit by letting my expectations get too high, but I can't help it, man. I've been looking forward to this movie for decades and now it is finally here. Um, all right. Um, you know what? I have a whole bunch of other stuff I wanted to talk about today. I want to talk about the box office stuff, some updates on Comic-Con HQ. I want to talk about the Sean Parker thing a little bit too. The new, uh, you know, the idea of paying $50 to watch a movie at home on the same day that it opens at theaters. I think they call it the screening room. But you know what? I think I'm going to save that one for tomorrow um, because I'm running a little bit tight on time. So I'm going to get moving. But I am going to get some Twitter questions in here. So... Let me tell you guys this. If you've got a Twitter uh, question that you'd like me to have on the John Campia podcast, simply tweet it out to me and put in the hashtag TJCP, the John Campia podcast. So send out a tweet and just include the hashtag, hashtag 
T-J-C-P. And I will see your tweet and maybe I will get your tweet on the John Campia podcast. So the first tweet comes in from Franklin Camp B1. And Franklin writes, would you allow a fan to co-host your podcast show? Maybe winning a contest of some sort? That would be epic. Uh, thanks a lot, Franklin. Uh, now this is a question that used to come up a lot on Collider. Uh, people would, uh, sometimes people would ask, hey, would, you should have a fan come in and be a co-host. My answer, honestly, is absolutely not. Never. Why? Because, and we did a poll and it came back exactly the way we thought it would. Every, like, I'm a big fan of um, uh, Colin Cowherd's sports show on Fox Radio. It used to be on ESPN. Now it's on Fox, Fox Sports. I'm a big fan of Colin Cowherd. Huge. Would I love to be a guest host on the Colin Cowherd show? Absolutely, I would. I would love it. To me, that would be awesome. But none of Colin Cowherd's audience wants to see John Campia on the show. None of them want to see John Campia on the show. They want to see Colin Cowherd. Or they want to see Colin Cowherd bring in other authorities in the sporting world. They don't want to see him bring on a fan. Because while it's great for the fan to get on, that would be awesome for me to get on Colin Cowherd and be on his show. None of his audience want to see me. And so we did a poll. We talked about this on on Collider. We did a poll once. It's like, um, how many people of our fans would be interested in coming on and being a guest host on Collider Movie Talk? And it was like 98% was like, yes. But then we put out another thing. How many of you would want to watch a Collider Movie Talk where not including you, but a fan was on being one of the co-hosts and it's like only like eight or 9% said yes. Over 90% of our audience didn't want to see a, a, a fan on the show. So that's the same thing here. No, I, I will never have a fan come and co-host a show because while that would be cool for the fan, it wouldn't be cool for the audience. Um, I would love to be on the Colin Cowherd show. I would love to be on, or Mike and Mike in the morning on ESPN. I would love, I would love to be on part in the interruption. Um, you know, with Wilbon over there on ESPN. I would love that, but the audience wouldn't love it because they're not looking for a fan. They're not looking for me. They want to hear other authorities in the sporting world. And I'm not an authority. I'm a big fan, but I'm not an authority in the sporting world and fans don't want to hear it. So no, probably wouldn't. Um, the next question comes from Billy D. Tarkin. I love that name. Uh, Billy D. Tarkin writes, Hey John, quick question. If Hulk and or Thor were in civil war, which side do you think they would take and why? I think that's a great question. Okay, we're all hyping up about Batman versus Superman right now, rightfully so, because that movie's going to be awesome. But let's not forget that not very far away is Captain America Civil War, another amazing looking comic book movie. Now, we all know that both Thor and Hulk are not in this movie, which is kind of good because it would be kind of tough to have Thor and Hulk in there because whatever side Hulk is on, that's the side that wins. Anyway, so you've got. If you had Thor and Hulk there, which sides would they be on? I actually think that's a pretty easy question. Uh, Thor would be on Captain America's side. Um, Thor just believes more in Captain America. He's had a lot of issues with Tony before. uh, So I don't see him siding with Tony. And the idea of Thor is, don't forget, Thor is a Asgardian god. I mean, to him, the idea of having some humans tell him when and when he can't go and do something, which is what the side that Tony is fighting for, Hulk would turn his nose up at that. He would be like, hell no. And Thor, I have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever, Thor would be on Captain America's side. 
Hulk is another story. Dr. Banner, he doesn't trust himself. I mean, he doesn't really trust anybody but either, but he doesn't trust himself. He, I think Banner would probably very much want rules and regulations governing him. But more than that, anybody, out of everybody in the MCU, other than Rhodey, the person who seems to have the closest relationship with Tony is Dr. Banner. We saw it in the first Avengers movie. We saw it in, you know, all of Iron Man 3 was basically Tony confiding in Dr. Banner, we find out from the end credit scene. And we see an Age of Ultron. He, you know, he's probably, Iron Man, Tony Stark is probably, other than Natasha, is the one that Dr. Banner is closest with is Tony. So to me, it's a no-brainer. Thor would easily side on the Captain America side. No, I'm not going to have the human government tell me Thor, God of Thunder, when I can and cannot raise Mjolnir, my mighty hammer. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't have it. He ain't going to have it. So he would be on Captain America's side easy. And I think it's also an easy call that Banner would be on Tony's side for all the reasons we talked about there. So I think it's a great question, but I'm going to stand by. Thor would be on Cap's side. Hulk would be on Tony's side. Let me know. Uh, Fire me off a tweet or something and let me know what you think about that. All right, two more questions here. Uh, Papa Gino, Papa Gino 0017. I like that Twitter handle. Uh, Papa Gino writes, do you think the Civil War, or sorry, not Civil War, do you think CW, the TV network, would cancel Arrow or Flash without canceling the other one? Or would they maybe just cancel one with bad ratings? Um, good question. No, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So let's say, for argument's sake, let's say Arrow has an incredibly popular season, becomes one of the most popular shows on TV. And for whatever reason, Flash begins to suffer. Nobody watches Flash anymore. And CW realizes, okay, we can't keep making the Flash. Does CW then go, well, since we're canceling Arrow or Flash, we have to cancel Arrow too because they're so connected to it. Nah, nah, they wouldn't do that. If Arrow's succeeding, they keep Arrow going. If Flash is failing, then they cancel Flash. It's just that simple. They wouldn't tie the fates, their fates to each other. Now, if they both started to tank, yeah, they may cancel them both, but not because if we're canceling one, we have to cancel the other. I don't believe they would do that at all. Um... But if Flash becomes the most popular show on TV and Arrow's ratings go in the tank, I believe they would cancel Arrow and totally keep Flash. So no, I don't believe their fates are tied to each other, um, but CW wants to keep them both going and keep them both going strong. All right, final question of the day. This one comes from Gundam Guyver. I love all the Twitter handles today. This is great. Uh, Gundam Guyver writes, can you think of any way that they can do Phasma, Captain Phasma, in Star Wars Episode Eight? that can justify her misuse in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's been one of the big talking points. Like, look, everybody knows how much I love Star Wars Episode Seven. I loved it. I mean, do I love it more than any of the original three trilogies, Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi? No, I don't like it on that level. But I thought it was a great movie. It's certainly miles above the prequel trash that we had. I, I love Star Wars Episode Seven, But, once again... I'm no blind fanboy. Just because I like something doesn't mean I'm totally insecure that I have to say everything about it was great or else it nullifies my love. No, 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 no. I will call a spade a spade. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars Episode Seven. But let's be honest. The Captain Phasma thing was a waste. What could have been a really cool character 
was completely wasted. And I'll be honest with you, the way Captain Phasma punked out, like lower the defensive shields on Starkiller base or we'll kill you. Really? She's so weak that she just caved and put the entire First Order at risk by lowering the shields? Weak. Totally weak. Um, I, look, I'm like everybody else. The Captain Phasma character, played by Gwendolyn Christie, no doubt, no less. That was one of the characters I was looking forward to the most. Certainly one of the characters that looked the coolest in all the trailers. I was so excited about Captain Phasma. I got all excited when she makes her first appearance on the screen. But I'm going to tell you, by the end of that movie, that was a waste of a character. And the way Phasma punked out in that, no. I, I honestly, look, that doesn't mean they can't do something that would totally redeem that character. Maybe they can. I'm just saying, you're asking me, can I think of any way that they can use Phasma in episode eight that would justify the way they botched her in episode seven? Nope. I, I can't personally think of anything that they can do that would make me think more highly of the Phasma character at this point because that character is a total punk character now. They punk that character out. So I'd be just as happy not to see the character return in anymore. Now, again, just because I can't think of anything that they could do, that doesn't mean that they can't think of anything. For all I know, Ryan Johnson has got a great plan, a great magnificent plan for Phasma that's going to totally redeem that character in all of her eyes. And if that's the case, awesome. I'll be totally excited, but I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this Monday installment of the John Campia podcast. Once again, sorry, there's a bunch of items I want to get to that I just ran out of time for. I probably spent too much time talking about Chromebooks, but seriously, guys, go check out a Chromebook. Um, and hey, listen, do me a favor. If you enjoy the John Campia podcast, do me a favor and jump on iTunes, find the John Campia podcast on iTunes and make sure you rate and comment uh, on the podcast. That helps me out a lot when you're able to do that. So once again, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, do me a favor, open up iTunes, even if you don't normally use iTunes, open up iTunes, rate and comment on this podcast that would help me out a great deal. And don't forget, guys, my book, my novel that I worked on for like five years, um, The Pride, a book I am very, very, play on words, uh, proud of. Uh, the Pride is available now on Amazon. Uh, do me a favor, jump on over to Amazon, just search for The Pride. You'll find The, the Pride written by John Campia. Get yourself a Kindle uh, e-version or order the paperback. It would help me out a lot. Uh, thank you so much for your support. And I, I mean, and thank you to all you guys who already bought the book. I'm floored by the response the book has got. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campion podcast. I will be back again tomorrow with a new podcast and I'll pick up on all these topics that I forgot to cover today. Plus a few topics more. Again, don't forget to send your tweets out to me. Just include the hashtag TJCP so I can get your questions on and that'll do it for now. So for the John Campion podcast, I'm obviously John Campia. Bye-bye.